Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Podcast. We're so glad to have you back with us today. We want to welcome all of those that are studying along with us. We appreciate you from all over the United States and those of you that join in from around the world. We believe we've got a word of teaching and a ministry of teaching and preaching that is necessary and required in our day. And we appreciate you coming in with us, studying the Word of God with us, and being a part of our ministry. Now, today we're going to begin part two of What is the Love of God? And we hope that uh, you are enjoying all of our teachings, uh, and we want to welcome you to contact us at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministry.com ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's Facebook uh, messaging. We, uh, as always, enjoy hearing from those of you. We've heard from uh, various parts of, uh, from people around the world uh, in the last week or ten days, and we just enjoy hearing from you, and we hope the Word of God is blessing you. Today, we begin part two. We'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. That'll be our starting point. And again, the title of our messaging is, What is the Love of God? From the love chapter, we may be able to glean insight into the love of God and how that love is expressed to his creation. Verse 5, Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, Thinketh no evil. Evil is not in the thought process of how God operates. He recognizes evil as he did with what Lucifer was attempting to do in heaven. It's been stated often from Christian people, however, that God hates the sin but loves the sinner. Well, my friend, unfortunately that statement is not found in Scripture. It's a statement that was made by St. Augustine in 211 uh, A.D. and has been coined by the Catholic Church. It has no biblical root, but has become a ready-made response in our church world today. Now, this is of particular use when dealing with the ideas of inclusion and tolerance that's become an issue in our current society. It is the easy thing to do by simply using this quote to send the message that the church is willing to accept you just as you are. You know the concept of he gets us. Today we're going to look into the scripture to see what the word of God has to say concerning the issue of hate the sin and love the sinner. Remember, in the love chapter, Jesus said God can't even think evil. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 said, Thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devour the man that is more righteous than he. Habakkuk sees the purity of the eyes of God. Evil is not something that he desires to look at. Lawlessness and wickedness are in that category 
of evil. But when he looks out over man, what man has forced him to look upon certainly is evil. Habakkuk called it treacherous dealings, the wicked devouring the man who is far more righteous than he. He was looking at sin amplified in the lives of the fallen. Now what was his answer? Now, we in our current circles would want the answer to sound as if what was created was what he saw. At the moment, that's what he looked at. That's what he saw. What was going on with treacherous dealings of iniquity? But it wasn't. It was created what he was seeing, what he would see, was created from the foundation of the world. Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen. Our Lord, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by, the, by thy great power and stretched out your arm. There is nothing too hard for thee. Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Now watch this. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. 1 Peter 1, 18-24. As much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ of the, of a, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times. No, this all was completed by the grand design of the plan of God. Why? Because his purity saw evil. And that was not acceptable in the love economy of God. So we use a term frequently in our church that has a nice ring to it. God hates sin, but loves the sinner. This is nice, my friend, and it sounds very inclusive. The question is, is it true? Well, we know God is holy and righteous, we know he is too pure to look upon evil, according to Habakkuk 1.13. But he knows that man is in fact treacherous and wicked because he sees the good and the bad, according to Proverbs 15.3. He knows man is caught in wickedness and lawlessness because his eyes are everywhere, Proverbs 15.3. His eyes are towards the righteous and he hears their prayers. He counsels and he numbers their steps according to 1 Peter 3.12, Psalms 32.8 and Job's 31.4. But there is something that is seen in 1 Peter 3.12 that we must take note of. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. Look at this. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Psalms 34, 15, and 16, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the very remembrance of them from the earth. So when we consider the sin 
Why would Scripture declare that a loving God is against them that do evil? Why would we be told that His face is so against them that He intends to cut them off from the remembrance from the earth? Now, Pastor, you know that the New Testament sees the sinner through the eyes of grace. Therefore, the sinner is so loved by God. His sin is what is not acceptable, not the sinner. Friend, the scripture sees them as one and the same. Why? Because the sinner is led to sin by his God. That God is the God who rose up in pride and was cast out of heaven. The sinner has chosen his God. God has provided a plan for sin to be dealt with and for man to change who he serves. We use it all the time, but we do not seem to understand what we're saying. We use the phrase, God hates sin and loves the sinner, but we don't seem to understand it. Psalms 5 Verse 4 and 5, For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish, the foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all of the workers of iniquity. Romans nine thirteen, As it is written, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Huh. The scripture shows us the following. God has no pleasure in wickedness, which results in lawlessness, and it comes from the lineage of iniquity. Evil of any kind shall not dwell with God. Those who are foolish shall not stand in his sight. Now what makes a man foolish? Well, the God that he chooses to serve. All those who work iniquity are hated by God. Now what is the root of these biblical truths? Who one determines to make his or her God is at the root of whether you live under the love of God, the economy of the love of God, or the economy of the evil from your master, the man of sin. The choice, of course, remains at the core of free will. That choice, however, determines the side of which you choose. Now, this relates to biblical principles. Remember when God destroyed Egypt due to their unbelief? Remember when Satan fell and one-third of his angels chose his side? Remember when God struck Sodom and Gomorrah with eternal fire? Remember what Paul said to Jude concerning the filthy dreamers who defile the flesh, despise dominion, and seek eager evil of dignitaries? Let's look at Jude 1.5 for a minute. I will therefore put you in remembrance. Though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved 
in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them like in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also, those filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignitaries. Now let's look into John 3.16, beginning with John 3.15, and let's see what it is the Word of God really says. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. My friend, it's the structure of your belief system that's essential to the final words of this verse. Why? Because what you believe influences who you internally and externally reflect as your God. Your belief system that is seen by the eyes of the Lord will determine your sustainability. If it has a foundation that makes God the source of both internal and external identification, then eternal life is assured. However, if the foundation is the source of evil, then you perish and your eternal life being doomed, cast into hell, is equally assured. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God, my friend, is a God of love. God loved his creation, knowing that the creation was steeped in sin. He saw it. He knew it. But what he knew that was much greater was that he had, a, he had a plan, a grand design that was divine for sin to be defeated. In the defeat of sin, man by his belief system would place his life under the dominion and the control of God and serve him. He would turn from the works of the flesh. He would eliminate the life led by self-satisfaction. Bow before the God of the universe and make him his God. He would be offered this life through the sacrifice of his son. God's plan from the foundation of the worst, the world of the earth was to give the gift of his son for sin. This gift would defeat sin. It would also open the door for man to accept the defeat of sin and be transformed. In the process, he would accept a new master. This life would lead man to know God and to serve God because the love of God was manifest in the death of his son. Man would change who held dominion over his life by seeing himself as being a servant of a fallen God. He would believe in a living and all-powerful God who had the ability to control eternal life. When weighing eternity, man would choose to remain serving the author of sin or he could accept the work of the gift of God's Son and place his allegiance with the work that was accomplished by the gift of God. It's man's spirit, my friend, that will live eternally, the real you. He has the choice to make 
And that choice is either to, to agree and believe in the economy of God with regard to the love of God that sent his son or to remain in the bondage and clutches of slavery and sin that is orchestrated by the man of sin and choose to remain in allegiance to the man of sin. Now why did God send his son? Because he loved man? No. No, because he hates evil. He is a God of love who hates evil. From the foundation of the world, the Godhead knew the plan was to send a sacrifice that would defeat evil. His son, being perfect, could destroy the bondage of sin and thereby destroy the one who was responsible for sin and its bondage. Man is not caught, my friend, in the middle of a holy war. Man is firmly chosen aside. Man was serving the devil and was as evil as the enemy to which he offered his service. God knew that because he knew that man was serving evil, because he knew the prince of the power of air. He was aware that the principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and high places would continue to attack the mind of man, man's own flesh and fleshly desires would make a God out of the man of sin and he would also make a God out of himself. So the hatred of evil that stemmed from the purity, righteousness, and holiness of the Lord God was sent to destroy the works of evil that these powers had perpetrated in the earth. Man was a part of that perpetration because of his own disobedience. Verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The world was created in perfection. Condemning it in the works of the Holy Spirit was really not what was required. It was condemning the sin that had become pervasive in the world. And that was to be attended to on the cross by the death, the gift of the death of Jesus Christ. In the world, along with all the perfection that we see in Genesis 1 and 2, was man. Man was the one who had chosen sides. The general creation of God had not. The scripture says that if they could speak, they would sing and clap their hands to the glory of God, according to Isaiah 55, 12. The issue, the one who had chosen sin was man. Man was created in the image of likeness of God. Man has it in his core. But that core became a dead spirit that had befallen Adam and Eve when they disobeyed. Man had in him the ability to believe. Man had in him the ability to re be reconnected to God. Man had in, in him the ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Man had in him the ability to be illuminated by light. Man had in him the ability to come to light. Man had in him the ability to live and walk in light. Man 
was what was requiring the action of being saved. In order for that to occur, the man of sin had to be judged. Sin had to be destroyed. He that believeth on him, verse 18, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Man is the one from whom the prospect of believing is released. He has the capacity to make a choice. We saw the choice that was made in the Garden of Eden. God had, prior to that choice, designed a plan to provide an alternative choice for mankind. This choice would have greater consequences than the choice that was made in the Garden. It would determine where one would choose to live eternally. Condemnation is the decision that must be made based upon how the belief system is structured. If one believes upon the finished work of Jesus, then he faces no decision that would require punishment. God to him is operating in love. The believer has received that extended love, repented, turned from his sins, made Jesus Lord of their life, and has declared a new allegiance to a new Lord. The life begins to reflect the service of a new master. He that believeth not, however, has made a decision against God, against the sacrifice, and to him his punishment has begun already. The rejection of the love of God has been done. Therefore, the punishment that is associated with evil against the person is enacted. When was it enacted, Pastor? When they heard the news and rejected it? No, sir. It was enacted from the moment Jesus died on the cross. The cross ever stands as the beacon of the love of God provided in the sacrifice of his son for the destruction of the man of sin. Therefore, the sin that the man of sin produced is forever engulfed in the love of God. If sin persists in the life of any man or woman, they, exp they are expressing their allegiance to the man of sin. They reject the God of love. They serve the man of sin. Now listen, we've been deceived into thinking that sin is an act that we produce on our own. My friend, it is not. It is an act that is produced in us. We being dead, as Paul said. To what are we dead? The Spirit of God. If we're dead to the Spirit of God, my friend, we're alive to the law of sin and death. Who then is our master? From what spirit are we operating? We are operating from the service being given to the man of sin. What's the identifier of that? The works that are being done that express what is really in us. It is the works of the man of sin that's being expressed. It's the destruction of the man of sin that God generated in the cross. Therefore, with that understanding, we can see why God does not hate the sin and love the sinner. One more time. Sin is the action that describes the master of which you serve. Therefore, it was the man of sin that was destroyed in the cross. So if we remain in sin, we are condemned already because we continue to serve the man of sin. And this is the condemnation, verse 19, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. 
Now here's the reason that God does not function under the statement of hating the sin and loving the sinner. Light has come. What does light do, my friend? It dispels darkness. So the light of an open door into the love of God is exposed for mankind to come to. They can choose to walk out of darkness and live in light. What will that light resonate with? The light resonates with the image and likeness of God. Man identifies with light because of uh, what has led what has laid dead in them. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. And you are the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, while we were under the direction of the man of sin and dead to God, his love was extended. What did his love do? It destroyed the man of sin. By doing so, light came to move men away from the sin that the old master held over us. Verse 5, and when we were dead in sins, even when we were dead in sins, that quickened us together with Christ, grace by grace are you saved, our spirit man was quickened and made alive. The light of his love did this. We came to the light who is Jesus Christ and we were made alive by believing in his work and accepting the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, have raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That light raised us up. We were brought out of the bondage of the man of sin and of all of his death, dead works that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Love was identified to us as grace. Now watch this, unmerited favor because we were serving a master who was the man of sin. Influence because the light has brought us life and a new spiritual leader. The way God does things because we're now living in the light of his love. And the open window of judge, the judgment of God, where every promise is in Him is yea and amen. My friend, this is dynamic. Light has totally changed us. We've been delivered out of darkness and into the glorious kingdom of His dear Son. How do we do it? Light changed our belief system. How did we change our belief system? We believed on the name of the Son of God. John 3.20 For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Did you see that? Neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. Now watch this. Every one. Two words. Every one. Every one. That doeth evil. This word structure now has become very individualized. We want to teach a message. That God hates sin and loves the sinner. And we blanket all of sin into tolerance, acceptance, and inclusion. 
But John 3.16, Jesus speaking, individualized it. He said, every one that hateth light is evil. Everyone that doeth evil is doing it individually because he hateth light, because he refuses to come to light, because if he does, his deeds will be reproved. We want to throw them under a blanket and say, oh, include them, accept them, tolerate them. But Jesus said every individual that does evil is hating light. Why do they do evil? Because they're serving the man of sin. Now, does God love the man of sin? Now, watch this now. Does God love the man of sin but hate the evil that he perpetrates? My friend, that's preposterous. God hates evil. And everyone that chooses to do evil, every one, every one, this is particularly so when the alternative of which they could choose is truth that it's been extended to them in love. But because they are evil, they hate light. If we continue down the road we're going, my friend, we will have the devil going to heaven. We'll have God looking at the devil and saying, oh, you're okay. Everything, I, I hated your sin, but I loved you. Preposterous, foolish. What do they really hate? They really hate the name that is associated with light. Jesus is called light and illumination in John chapter 1. Now watch this. They hate the light of who is Jesus Christ. They choose evil who is the man of sin. It's clear. If you hate Jesus and you choose the man of sin, you're evil in the sight of God. It's not your sin that designates you. It is your service that condemns you. Now, why is that? Because your acts, your deeds, and your labels are, labors are operating under another type of influence. We've defined grace for you, that it comes in Jesus Christ. Let's see if we can define the antithesis of grace that is exposed in the man of sin. It's a hurtful character. It is degenerate and devoid of virtue. It is calamitous. It's ill and full of disease. It's malicious and full of malicious, of malice. Men loved evil and the results of a belief system that generates these five character traits are generated over the top of the light that is in the grace of God and disseminated in the love of God. In doing so, they have missed the love of God and his extension of that love in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm about done. But he that doeth evil cometh to the, doeth truth rather, cometh to the light, verse 21, that his deeds may be made manifest that they're wrought in God. Finding truth is the result of locating the light of understanding. This is true in any learning endeavor, but, endeavor, but it is particularly true of the conquest in the spiritual nature. We seek the light of understanding and the tunnels that turn into avenues of light are exposed to us. What causes such? The love of God. The love of God is made to be revealed to us as we seek, ask, knock, which really means that we simply are looking into light that is being exposed. The love of God is full of perfection. Why? Because the love of which we walk 
is the perfect light of Jesus Christ. The love of God is full of revelation. Why? Because the things we're looking for are all located in the possession of one person. All of this light is generated from one source, God. Why? Because the plan of God was for the redemption of mankind that came from him before the foundation of the world. The love of God has been produced and provided for us to enter into and believe. If we are to experience the nearness of his fatherhood, if we are to experience the nearness of brotherhood with Christ, and the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit, which reveals the words of our man in the Godhead, then we must come out of evil and walk in the love of Almighty God. My friend, we are blessed with that love beyond measure. Father, minister to your word today. Open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear, and our heart that we can understand. Let us apply it to our lives. Come out of evil and stop serving the, the man of sin. Walk into the love of God and serve the almighty God of whom is no changing, of whom is not varied, but of whom is full of life and truth. We give you praise in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. May God bless you as you hear and study the word of God. We're teaching on what is love. For us to live in love, we must never live under or serve the man of sin. Jesus is Lord. God bless you until we speak again.